Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, and and in our last lesson we were looking at the first five or six verses of this, and tonight we want to look at the day of the Lord, and we'll kind of start again with verse 5 and then start slowly going down, and I pray that God speaks to our hearts just about uh, what the day of the Lord is about, and at the same time, just some of the things the children of Israel did to get in trouble with God, how we can avoid those things. But notice in verse 5, O house of Jacob, come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore, you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers. Those are like fortune tellers, kind of like that, predictors of the future. Like the Philistines, and they pleased themselves in the children of strangers. Their land also was full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. The mean man boweth down, the great man humbleth himself, therefore forgive them not. Here's what the prophet is saying to the people. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we look into the word tonight, speak to all of our hearts. Uh, Lord, we know that if we sow to the flesh, then of the flesh we'll reap corruption. But we also know if we sow to the spirit, we will reap a wonderful spiritual harvest that enriches and blesses us. So, Lord, knowing that you placed all these things in the book in order to be examples for all of us upon whom the end of the ages have come, help us to walk in wisdom and to gain a spirit of understanding. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen, Amen. Isaiah was an 8th century B.C. prophet whose ministry was restricted to Judah and Jerusalem and then a few other nations. Now in verse 5, you'll see that phrase there, the house of Jacob. Now that's a phrase that he likes. Sometimes he talks about the house of Israel, the house of Judah, the house of the Lord, the house of David. But in using these different titles, he's always trying to remind us of a covenant. Because God has a covenant with his people. And because of that covenant, he honors the, the promises that he's made. And that's important to know that God is a promise keeper. He will not tell you he will do something and then renege on doing it. But it's important for you to understand that even though we have a covenant with him, he does not like us to take his covenant for granted. So even though God's made promises to you, you still have things you have to do, things I have to do. We love to quote that verse from Exodus. I think it's in chapter 15 that says, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. But then there are a few little dots after that, then a few little dots before that. And those dots mean there are other words that are left out. And so those other words that are left out, usually in, in uh, Exodus 15, it goes like this. If you obey me and keep my statutes... I'll bless you. If you don't obey me and keep my statutes, you're going to be in trouble with me. I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. See, So we, we love the part that we think benefits us. But all of it benefits us if we understand what the scriptures say. Yeah. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in the spirit. No condemnation for those. But but the opposite is true for those who walk in the flesh. (laughs) There's a whole lot of condemnation and a lot of conviction. Condemnation from the devil because we're guilty of sin. Conviction from God because we're guilty of sin. But if we walk in the spirit, then we don't have to deal with either of those. Now, this is good to know for the children of Israel. And we're in Isaiah chapter two. Look at verse six here. He says, you've forsaken your people, the house of Jacob. Now, why would God turn his back on his people then? Why would it say that? Well, you you may have a a reference to Micah chapter five, verses two and three. And I I just want to read these verses to you. These are cited in the gospel of Matthew As being prophetic scriptures referring to Jesus and they do. But I just want you to see what what other inferences we can draw from these. It says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. Now, here's the next part. Therefore, will he give them up? She's talking about Israel. He'll give them up until the time. That she which travaileth had brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So the Lord, sometimes if people start going in the wrong direction, God will step back and give them up to their own doings. And that's in Romans chapter one. You've got the three give ups of God in Romans one. He gave them up to vile affections and so on and so forth. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. If you persist in moving in the wrong direction, then God's spirit who strives with you and tries to pull you back into a relationship with him. If you're not careful, then, then, then God will take his hands off and you just keep moseying along. And, I, and I'll tell you, it's a bad thing to be moving along without God. And this is what's happening with the children of Israel here in Isaiah 2 and 6. The prophet is telling them the king has forsaken the house of Jacob. And then it tells, tells you why. Because they've replenished from the east or there that means that they are more than the east they've multiplied and they've adopted customs from the east now israel as you know on the map is right on that eastern border eastern side of the mediterranean sea but you start going further and further east you run into ancient iran iraq keep going you're going to get to uh some of the other asian countries everything from burma as we call it today india going over to china but do you realize that even in isaiah's day there were the early elements of hinduism and the one thing god did not want the children of israel doing was adopting the customs of the east he didn't want them adopting the customs of egypt if you have a covenant with god then God's relationship with you says there's one God and he does not want us to be interacting with other religions in order to try to better ourselves. Now, there's some places in America where they don't want people to sit around and meditate on the scripture, but they'll bring yoga in, which is a part of Hinduism. And they don't mind people meditating on on those kinds of things. And and for, for people who study out Hinduism, other aspects of Buddhism, which came a little bit later than this. But these religions of the East, they don't do anything to promote the godliness that the Bible produces. You need to know this. Don't don't allow yourself to mingle 
Eastern cultures and customs with the scripture. Even if people tell you, well, I don't really see anything wrong with me doing a little Japanese Shintoism and burning some incense. If, if I'm going to not, if I'm going to burn the incense to my God and pray to my God. Well, number one, your God doesn't need your incense anyhow. So that's unnecessary. But you do need to know that God doesn't want us to multiply the Eastern resources within the kingdom of God. So even in Ezekiel, one time he had a vision where the Lord said, I want you to dig through a wall. So he did. When he got through the wall, he saw the elders of Israel sitting and they were worshiping all of these images on the inside of the temple. These different creatures worshiping the sun. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, look at what these people have done in my house. So even in the church today, if if you have a good ear and you listen to what people are saying, there's a mixture of worldly stuff and ungodly stuff that's in the house of God. And it has caused people to turn their backs on God to worship these other things. And we see it all the time. Yeah. OK, so look now then in verse six again. And he says that you become like soothsayers of the Philistines, people who profess to foretell the future. A good example of this is Second Kings, chapter one, verse two, where Ahaziah, the king, fell down through a floor or something in his palace and he hurt himself. So he's laying there and he's they got him back to bed and he's sick. And he said, look, send messengers and ask the God of Ephron. That's the Philistine God. If I'm going to live. And of course, God had an angel speak to Elijah to let him know. No, you're not. And, and the whole point of what God was was into the king was, why would you go and seek information regarding the future from a false deity. Yeah. Now, people love to know about the future, and that's why tarot card reading, crystal ball gazing, and other aspects of other religions are so popular with people because people are very interested in the future, and since they're interested in the future, God's going to tell them the future starting in, in about verse 12. He's going to make sure they know all about what's going to come to them so that they don't have any doubt at all. But then at the last of verse six, it says they abound with the children of strangers. The children of Israel as 12 tribes. They were supposed to marry within their tribe to preserve the inheritance inheritances within their tribe. And they were not supposed to sell that property to people outside their tribe. And they certainly weren't supposed to sell it to people from other countries. But here in verse six, you can see that they have fallen so far away from God. Now there's this intermarriage with people of other nations, other countries without a covenant with God. And it is affecting the whole spiritual climate in the nation. So much so that verse seven, you can see everybody's been chasing after wealth. The land is full of silver and gold. Now, what it's not full of are spiritual people, but it's full of spiritual and gold. He said there's no end of their treasures. I mean, these folks have more wealth than they know what to do with it at this point. Now, all of us, you know, we, we prefer abundance to lack. I don't blame you. But why sacrifice your spirituality for silver and gold? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And they're losing it one day at a time here. 
When it says in verse seven, the land is full of horses and chariots is saying that they have increased their implements and instruments of war. Yeah, we've got to protect all this wealth that we have. Anybody come up, fight against us with all this silver and gold? We've, we've got to be ready. Let's, we don't want to worry about the temple. Let's not repair the house of God. Let's not think about telling people about Judaism and, and bringing them over into a knowledge of the, of the true king and telling people to forsake their gods and forsake their unrighteousness. But let's chase after the wealth. When people do that, and, and if, you, if you put money before your God, then you'll fall right into the verse where Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't. Because if you're pursuing God, then the scripture says all these other things will be added unto you anyhow. So if you seek after God, you have abundance. He'll bring blessing to you. Now, it comes in different ways. If you take the children of Israel, um, let me see, when, when they first went to Egypt, God was looking after them. They had a pharaoh that cared for them. And, and you'll see where they were having, they were eating leeks and garlics and stuff like that. They weren't starving, but they had something to eat. Then when they got out of, out of the uh, Egyptian bondage, went into the wilderness, God gave them daily bread. Manna, they came. Forty years, six days a week, daily bread. They moved out of there, went into the promised land. When they got to the promised land, God said, you'll no more eat of that manna. But he says, I've got other stuff for you. So here's what you plant. And this is what's going to happen, because it's a whole lot better for you to teach a man how to fish rather than just give him a fish. See, so God understood that whole principle. So he helped them to be able to plant so that they could sow into their land and reap a harvest. But there was a point where they didn't have enough. They were building the Egyptian treasury cities and they were complaining that they didn't have any brick and mortar and cement. But then they got into the wilderness and they were able to get their daily bread. And then they moved into the promised land and they received more than enough. But at any rate, God preserved them. And I believe if you walk with God and pursue God, wherever you are, whatever stage you're in like that, God will make sure you have whatever you need. And I've never worried about whether or not the barrel that we're reaching into for blessings to take care of ourselves is is empty. Uh, you know, I just I don't mind if I have to scoop it off the top or scrape it off the barrel. I just don't want it to run dry. See, that's the key. And if you walk with God, then God will do things behind the scenes to bring blessing into your life. And he'll bring streams of revenue, if we can say that, streams of blessing into your life. And you won't even understand why they're coming other than, you know, it's God because, you know, it's not you. Yeah. So verse eight, he says, with all of this going on, they have a land filled with idols. And these are idols that they have made with their own hands. Whenever I come across verses like this, I always wonder how anybody can worship something they made themselves. It would be like when I was a kid and the kids, we'd have Play-Doh. Why in the world would we take Play-Doh and build something and then turn around and start worshiping it? But yeah, that's what that's what people did in ancient times. And that's what people do today. There are plenty of factories that make money out of the, the manufacturing of icons, images, figurines, statuettes. And, and the idea that somebody would tell these craftsmen who made these figurines for the goddess Diana that what they're doing is wrong. Oh, I mean, people are ready to fight because you're starting to cut into their revenue now. 
You're going to mess with my bottom line by telling all of these people that my idols aren't worth anything? That's exactly what I'm saying. You don't need them. When I lived with a family in South America, and this uh, family was of a Roman uh, persuasion in their religion, every day when I had to walk past the, uh, go through the dining room to get to the kitchen, they, they had one of those uh, little shrines there where they did their prayers, and it had a big picture of what was supposed to be, I suppose, Jesus, and it had like a, a, a big heart that looked like it was glowing, sticking out of her chest, and it was like the sacred heart. And so, I mean, people, when the family members would come to visit them, I mean, every time they walked past, they did a little genuflection or something like that, and then once a day, I'd see them in there kind of praying, and, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, this is going nowhere. Nowhere. But sincere and devout. Sincere and devout. Yet he says here in verse eight, the land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands and that which their own fingers have made. So remember, I'm just using that image right now because that's something that was personal and I saw in my own life. But somebody painted that and whoever painted that made money off of that. And they're making money still today off of millions of people who believe in that. Same thing when you go into... uh the Middle East, and you find some of these different Orthodox churches, and they have these beautiful stained glass windows and stuff like that. And then they, they, they teach people to, to use different kinds of talismans and things for their prayers. You know, they hold on to specially made crosses in order to feel like they're closer to God when they pray. You don't need any of that. You don't need any of that. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's what the Bible teaches and so he says that which their own fingers have made. And he goes so far as then to tell us that the mean man, not talking about an angry person, even the poorest kind of a person bows down to these idols in verse eight. The, the great man, a person of stature, influence, wealth, also humbles himself. Now you think about that. Can you imagine if we had a president in the White House that bowed down and, and uh, prayed to different fetishes that were on a pole. But there are a lot of leading statesmen around the world that do that. Yeah. You'd be surprised what goes on behind closed doors with not just our politicians, but just other civic officials that lead the country. If, if, if God could open up the rooftops of many homes and we could just peer down in there and see what people worship, we'd probably be astonished. We say, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe that's our English teacher. You mean, you mean to tell me that's the, the mayor does that behind closed doors? See, that, that kind of a thing. So God, of course, he he's saying to the people in verse 10, you need to go and hide yourself because of the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. You need to find some caves and go climb into those rather than allowing yourself to enjoy all of this stuff. In verse 11, he says, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled. That's that haughty countenance. God's not going to do anything to me. That's what Noah's generation thought. I'm okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. God's not upset with me. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. Wait a minute. I've got a covenant with God. He's not angry with me. I can do whatever I want. God will be pleased with me. Oh, no, no, you can't. No, you can't. And, and it doesn't work like that at all. If you, if you don't believe me, read Acts chapter five, the story of Ananias and Sapphire. 
or read the book of Revelation, see what's happening when Jesus comes back and he'll be dealing with Israel, dealing with Israel. So verse 11 there, it says, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now he's given them a picture of what the future is going to look like if they continue down this particular road. The day of the Lord is going to come. The Bible says that pride precedes destruction, but a haughty spirit precedes a big fall. When you see people who have no ability to humble themselves because they are so filled with pride and uh, stuck up, you know, just I'm always right. Everybody else is always wrong. That person is not even going to see when their humiliation comes. It usually catches us off guard just like that. We don't even see it coming. Because to, to humble ourselves is to say, Father, I need help. This is trouble. Or, Father, I've gotten myself into bondage. Could you please help me? Something like that. that that's to humble ourselves, to acknowledge something is wrong. But when we refuse to do that, then pride, of course, pride is the very thing that we don't want people to, to, to know about. And, and of course, I told you it's the one affliction that the person who's afflicted with it doesn't know that they have, but everybody else sees that they have it. But, but pride is, is one of these deals where, you know, we, we don't want anybody to know. And we hope people don't find out. And, and if we don't get the right correction with God, then people do find out. I, I have found that sometimes one of the best correctives for any of us who are dealing secretly and things we ought not deal in is to get caught. Yeah, yeah, to get caught. Oh, it's a lovely thing. I mean, it doesn't make you feel good at the time. But, you know, when a little kid gets caught with a hand in a cookie jar, that's a that, that's a helpful thing. If, if the cookie jar lady and the cookie jar man is going to take care of the, the thief that's going in the cookie jar. Yeah. And if and if 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 uh, if grandma, grandpa, mom and pops or an uncle or something, somebody like that ends up uh, doing something they're not supposed to be doing, looking at something they shouldn't be looking at on the computer, then one of the grandkids find out and then go to grandma. Grandma, what is this? Oh, that's humiliation, you see. Sometimes the best thing to happen to, to people is, is to get caught because when we do, now there's the acknowledgement of the problem and now we can either repent and uh, God can help mend something or we continue down the road and it can be troublesome. So God gives them a picture of their future here and started with verse 12. You can see he says, the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. Look what their future is going to be like. The day of the Lord upon everyone that's lifted up and everyone and, and he shall be brought low. Now, what is the day of the Lord? Because this is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament. Paul uses it. Peter uses it. The day of the Lord has to do with the manifestation of God's displeasure. His wrath. In some cases, it describes his fury where he is unhappy and God handles Israel in, a, in, in different ways. Sometimes he withholds rain from the heavens. Sometimes he brings nations from nearby or far. 
But whatever he does, he ensures that the humbling of the nation is thorough and complete. And when we get to this point of God's chastisement, we're in the punishment phase. You understand? Punishment phase. When the, when the day of the Lord manifests, that's punishment phase. That means uh, all opportunities to repent have now pretty much escaped you and you've got to just deal with what's coming now. Just like with, with parents with the kids and, and they say, okay, <clears throat> and I've used this oftentimes. Okay, we're going to so-and-so's house. When we get to so-and-so's house, I want you to make sure you don't get in any trouble at that house. Keep your hands in your pockets because if your hands are in your pockets, they're not on somebody else's shelf. They're not knocking over the lamp. Daryl, do you understand that? Mom, I do. Daryl, do you understand that? Mom, I understand that. Okay. So I get in there and like, like most kids do, get to playing with my cousins and, and having a good time. We're ripping and running around the house. And then, and then before you know it, you can hear stuff falling. And of course, I'm doing everything I can to make sure I wasn't the one bumped into anything. And, and then, of course, my mom's sitting on the other side of the room having all this adult conversation. She doesn't say anything. She just kind of looks over there at me. And with that look, she kind of lets me know. Don't make me come over there. Yeah, it's, it's quiet, but I'm just, I'm looking at her and it's, don't make me come over there. And so then we get to playing and having a good time again. And, and pretty soon something else happens. And now she's talking. Now, did I not tell you? And 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 then after that, then it's punishment phase. So there's there's no room for I'm sorry now because she has already spoken to me. She warned me and then she even gave me another opportunity. So now it's the chastisement part of the the whole thing. And so this is what's happening with the children of Israel. He's saying this is what your future looks like. Now, if I were you, see, I'd go ahead and curb that bad behavior. Now, you think the children of Israel would listen to the prophet of God and say, you know what? You sound like you're talking, talking the word of the Lord. Maybe we ought to change, you know, and I should break up these idols and and, and start walking with the king and end some of these bad relationships and just let God have his way in my heart and in my life. But, you know, as well as I do, it doesn't always come that, that easy to people. Before you became a Christian, how many people tried to talk to you about God and you didn't want to hear what they had to say? Yeah. Even after you became a Christian, how many people tried to talk to you about behavior that still was ungodly and you didn't want to hear what they had to say? See? Now, you, you might think somebody's harassing you or they're being self-righteous. But it could very well be that God put you on their heart so that they could come and manifest the love of God to you as Isaiah is doing to the people to say, look, God is sending me to show you his mercy because he's given you another opportunity to hear him say, please stop that. You do not have to be in a three way relationship. This is destructive for your kids. It's not helpful for the community. Well, I'll do whatever I want to do and I have a right to be happy. You have a right to be obedient. That's what you have a right to be. Yeah. Lady one time came to visit me. Husband had left her and was messing around with another lady. And so she said to me, well, you know, pastor, would you go over there and talk with her? Well, she didn't even attend our church. And she wasn't even one of my sheep. But she she came to me, didn't go to her own pastor and asked him to get involved. So 
I'm just inquiring, trying to get a little bit more information about this. And I said, well, uh, I know your husband. I know where he works. I said, okay, I'll go talk with him. So sure enough, I did. A couple of days later or whenever it was, I had some free time. I, I went over there to where he was. I knocked on that outside of that door, stuck my head in and said, hey, just want to know if you had a few moments so I could talk with you. He said, I had a feeling you'd probably be coming. That's what he said. Yeah. <clears throat> well, he knew that their pastor wasn't going to come. No. And he knew that probably other ones in town weren't going to come. So here I was. I sat down. And I said, look, I got a visit from, you know, your wife and heard this and this isn't good. And you need to stop this. You know, you, you know better. You're supposed to be a Christian. Here's what the Bible says. And above all, you, you're supposed to be an elder in a church. You shouldn't be doing this. And, and so he, he said to me, well, I don't love my wife anymore. And I don't think she loves me. And, and I, I should have a right to be happy. I said, oh, no. No, no, you, you, you're totally wrong. You, you, you have a right to honor that covenant you made with that woman. And I said, love ain't got anything to do with the feeling. You've got to honor, honor that covenant. Well, he, he never listened to anything that I said. He and that other lady went on and got together. And then, you know, just like, like most preachers, I just, you know, you talk to somebody and you just stand back and you watch. See, because when, when someone has a covenant with God and then determines they're going to do their own thing, go their own direction, all you've got to do is just stand back and just watch. Just see how the dominoes just start falling. And I could see in his life, uh, in the succeeding years, just how terrible that was. Terrible that was. Yeah. Come back to verse 12. The day of the Lord of hosts. It'll deal with the proud and lofty and everyone that's lifted up. They'll be brought low. Verse 13. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon. We're talking about the trees and vegetation now that are high and lifted up. And upon all the oaks of Bashan. And every high tower and upon every fenced wall. What's a high tower for? That's where the watchmen are. That's also where the people are that sit up there looking over the grape vineyards. That high tower. It's where the alarms are sounded. Every fenced wall and upon all the ships of Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is the old English word for Spain. Because that they did a lot of merchandising with them. Spain was a very, very uh, big force in the shipping industry in ancient times at this time. And so, and upon all the pleasant pictures, we're talking about images, images, you know, ancient times, they carve images on rocks. You can still see some of those from time to time when you're looking at uh, national geographic studies and things like that. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. That's the same sentence at the end of verse 11. And, and I'm, I'm reading this and, and emphasizing this because I want you to know you don't have to go after the proud. Leave them in the hands of God. Because if you start trying to handle proud people on your own, whatever you do get done, that's the only reward you're going to get. But if you put them in the hands of God, God really knows how to take somebody and put them through the ringer. Yeah. And some of us in here may have been through the ringer 20, 20 or so times. And we, we understand what it's like for God to, to really get a hold to us and, and, and humble us. And, and when he does, it, it's always memorable. Yeah, it's memorable. Something you don't ever forget when, when God starts working on humbling us. Verse 18, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. 
Now, we've, we've spoken about idols that have to do with, um, you know, things that can be carried or something that can be put on a shelf. But, but do you realize there are a lot of things in your life that can become idols? Your job, family, your labor in the church. Yeah. Your material possessions, all of that can become an idol. And, and when, it, when it does, then, then God has to start working at dealing with things in your life that may be problematic for you. Uh, let's, let's remember the story of Abraham. Abraham was an altar builder. And if you start in Genesis 12 and start following his life, you'll see that every eight or nine verses, it looks like he's building an altar, having a revelation from God, spending time with the king. And God starts talking to him about a kid. So he and, of course, Sarah had an idea and Ishmael comes along. And I'm sure he taught Ishmael everything he knew about having a relationship with God and, and worshiping God. And the reason I know that is because when Ishmael's mother was out in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord came to her. So obviously there was a relationship with God and Ishmael never abandoned God or anything like that. However, when Isaac came along, there was such excitement, such joy, such happiness. There weren't a whole lot of altars being built once Isaac came along. There's a whole lot of time looking after that boy, making sure that he's well cared for and taken care of. And so one day God says to Abraham, who's spending all this time with Isaac. Now, he says, you know, that that son you have, your only son, that son you love so much. So I want you to take him to a mountain. I'm going to show you Mount Moriah. And I don't know how far he had to walk and how many days. I think it was three days, if I'm not mistaken. And and he and the Lord said, I'll show you a mountain. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that boy to the top of that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. I mean, I want you to build an altar and you're going to tie that boy up, put him down on that altar and you're going to set him on fire. That boy that you love, the promised kid. Wow. I wonder if he told Sarah he was going to do that. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if he, he mentioned that to Sarah at all. It, all. All it tells us is that early the next morning, and he might have had to get up early because Sarah wouldn't let him sleep in that bed, probably kicked him out of that hut. But early that next morning, he got up, saddled that donkey, took his boy, and said, we're leaving. And they kept walking and walking and walking. Spent the night somewhere, got up the next day, walked again, spent the night, got up the next day. On the third day, God said, that's the mountaintop right there. So they get to the foot of that hill, and, 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 and Isaac, he says, now, now, Father, we've done this before. And he said, usually we're carrying some kind of lamb or something up here that's, that's going to be, be sacrificed, but uh, we don't have one now. And climbing up that hill after he put that, that wood on that boy's back, he said, look, God will provide a lamb. Yeah. So they climbed all the way up that hill. He got to the top. He built the altar. He said to his boy, he said, now I'm going to need you to lay down here because I'm probably I'm going to have to sacrifice you. I'm going to sacrifice you. Now, Hebrews 11 told us that Abraham believed God could raise him from the dead. And, and so he believed in resurrection from the dead. So that, that tells me that he probably told his boy, look, I'm not leaving this mountaintop without you. 
If I have to stay up here and pray for a month and a half, I'm not leaving this mountaintop without you. But we have to go through with this because this is what God has said. And so he gets ready. He has that knife. He's got it up. And and his boy Isaac isn't even running. He's laying there just going to let his daddy do it. And just when Abraham is about to plunge that knife down into his chest, God speaks and said, don't do that. Now I know you love me. And he said, look over there and you'll see in that hedgerow there, you'll see a ram with his horn caught up in all of that. Now, sure enough, that's what he did. Looked over there. There's the ram. That's what was sacrificed. But but here's the point. Someone that Abraham loved so much. God wanted to see how far he'd go in getting rid of it. Yeah. Sometimes the things that are so precious to you. God doesn't have a problem at all with it. You being separated from it. If it's going to if it's going to produce in you a greater a greater devotion to him, because if you've got something in your life that you're more devoted to than God, then it's probably a good chance that eventually that thing's going to be separated from you anyhow. Yeah. So look at verse 19 and and they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. So this day of the Lord is going to have physical manifestations, likely earthquakes and other things like that. And he's saying people are going to be running and hiding. I mean, John even saw stuff like this in the book of Revelation. He said people be looking for death and can't even find it. Yeah. Hiding in caves. I probably ought to make a statement here about what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord, because we should always have a healthy respect and an awe and reverence for God. That's important. Yeah. He is a holy God. He, he, he's not, he's not just, um, your best friend, although he is a friend and he called Abraham his friend, but he is God. He's different. He thinks different than we do. And and his ways really are somewhat beyond our ways, even though we're born of him and we're Christian and, and we're renewing our minds every day to think like him, to believe like him, to behave like him. We're always striving to get to where he is. So where he is still is far above where we'll ever be as far as we're in this, as long as we're in this earthly body. So really, his ways are above our ways, but we're trying to learn them. And and with the fear of God, the reason these kinds of scriptures are here and some of these stories like uh, the earth opening up and swallowing the sons of Korah and a whole tribe just about going down in the hell fully clothed. All of those stories, those are in there because they're designed to cause us to tremble before God. Tremble in the sense that that, okay, I've got a covenant with God. And and love, okay, casts out fear. So if if I walk with him the way I'm supposed to walk with him, then my love relationship is going to be great as it should be. And and my respect and all of him, I'm going is going to cause me to honor him properly. See, it's not talking about me just, oh, my goodness, God sitting up there with lightning bolts in each fist and he's ready to hit me just as soon as I step off the path. It's not that at all. God is gracious. The children of Israel here in Isaiah's day, they've been straying further and further and further. We're talking about the punishment phase. Everything else with all the warnings, even with this here, this is grace. This is God saying, I love you. I want you to stop. Please stop. That's what he's saying. 
So verse 20, in that day, a man shall cast his idols of silver and of gold, which they made for him to worship. You're going to give them to the moles and the bats. That's who needs them. Yeah, that's who needs them. So with 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 idols, then we don't pass them along to neighbors. You remember the story in the book of Acts when the folks were getting saved and it says they came together, had a big bonfire and they burned all their books of curious arts, witchcraft and stuff like that. So when when um, people come along to your house and they're knocking on your door to witness to you and they want to introduce you to some of these other religions and these books are filled with a lot of stuff that is bad, you, you don't have to just. Give it away to somebody else. You don't have to just put it in the garbage can. You can bury it. You can burn it. You know, you can keep somebody else from being inundated with all of that, that bad stuff. Because words are seeds. And, and those seeds, when they're planted in the mind or heart, will produce a harvest in somebody's life because they'll believe it. When, when the Mormons come knocking on your door, they're good, clean cut young men. And, 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 and they, they're, they're ready for you. They've got, they've got a little script that they need to deal with. And, and uh, they, they're already somewhat ready for the questions you're going to ask. So they got some prepared, canned answers that they want to give to you. And, and those answers are designed to steer you into a direction where they can ask a question and get you to talking along the trail they want you to walk down. But you, you've got to be smarter than that, you know. If they try to leave with you some of their literature, just be honest enough and tell them, look, there's no sense in you leaving this because I'm not going to read it. Now, if you leave it, all I'm going to do is just walk straight from the front porch through the living room, through the dining room, into the kitchen, and put it in trash. But they have to feel sometimes like they've done something. So, yeah. And if they want to pray, I say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. I say, you are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus well, you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let me lay hands on your nines. Pray for you. Let's see if you start talking in tongues. Oh, they want to get out of there quick now. Yeah. They want to move away. Well, well here, here, here's the point. Don't let people who are in other religions control the conversation. You controlled it. And don't let them have the upper hand on you. Because if, if God tells the prophet to tell these people that these idols and stuff are only good for moles and bats, then why in the world will we waste our time with it? See? Yeah. And then in the end, he said to go into the clefts of the rocks and the tops of the ragged rocks for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. When he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? He's saying here, why allow humans who are no more eternal than you are to govern and guide your life? See, think about that. For where, uh, wherein he is to be accounted for. So all of us have to give an account for what we're doing with our life and be accountable for what the king says about the word and how we handle it. Cut off from your life anyone whose influence is so great that they'll lead you down a false trail. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you like to sit there and watch on that cable television 3ABN. Seven Day Adventists. 
then you better be careful because they're going to tell you after a while, if you go to church on Sunday, you've taken the mark of the beast. And, and they're going to tell you that if you're going to eat food, you better stay away from meat. You got to just eat vegetables. And that the only day you should go to church is a Saturday because that's the Sabbath day. And you're going to hear all of the end time prophecy stuff. And they're going to tell you and they're going to be very clear, very eloquent as they explain it and march you through the scriptures. And even though you got so many people meeting on the Lord today, they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. You, you got to be careful about what you allow to go into this mind right here. Got to be very, very careful. Somebody comes along and says, look, we, we were all here in another life. You know, you, you could have been a rat in previous life. Could have been a rodent. Could have been a butterfly. See, somebody else may come along and say, well, you know, I could have been an eagle, you know, 2,000 years ago. And if you listen to that long enough, then pretty soon reincarnation, that stuff gets in that head and you get to thinking, well, well he, he might be right. I could have been a mole. And, and I just came through a better cycle of life. And now here I am, a human being now. Folks, listen. I mean, this stuff is deception. Utter deception. The prophet says, cut those kind of people off from your life because of the fear of God and the glory of his majesty. All of that is going to be shaken one day. And in the end, what's going to remain will be the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All righty. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. We are secure in you and we have a covenant. And as it says in Malachi, it is a covenant unto life and peace. And we thank you, Lord, that you put a hedge of protection around all of us and blessings in abundance have come in a variety of different ways. And we know that our future includes other great things you're going to do for us. So continue to lead us down paths of righteousness in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.